In today's show, we're going to talk about all sorts of Porsche topics, surprisingly, such as Porsche's first weekend back into endurance racing around the world. We've got a winner of our giveaway, and Ashmal wants to talk about rust in cars. What a surprise. Welcome to Porsche Talk Podcast. Hello, Ajmal. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Just, you know, ducking and diving, bobbing and weaving and all that. Yeah, um, yeah you sound a lot better than last time we spoke. Getting over a virus that I had at weekend. Well, I had a bit of a virus over the weekend, again, because my children are just bringing it all home. Um, but I'm feeling a lot better, more energised after a weekend of sleeping. Um, and otherwise, good. Um, I see you're in your, um, what did you call it again? I call it a vest. You call it a... Singlet. Singlet, singlet. That, that's just—is that just in Perth or Australia thing? A singlet. I'd never heard it called a vest prior to meeting you. Yeah, but that's like you call flip flops thongs. No, I call them flip flops because I've got a daughter. Right. Okay. So I thought it's just a general. I don't thing. need a ten-year-old running around the house asking where her thongs are. That is true. That is true. Yes. What do you call? Um, we, you know, when you take drinks to the beach or something, and you take them in a box, and we call it a cool box. Or esky. Or an icebox. Esky, esky, that's it. Another made-up Australian word. Oh, no, look, it's it's a brand of cooler. Right. You know, here in Australia, it's like calling all cola Coke. That same sort of mentality. Okay, so over here, those things that apply are Hoover's. Ah, yes, okay, yeah. So, you know, Hoover is a brand, but of we course. call all mm-hmm. vacuum cleaners Hoover's, and Cellotape. Really? We have a much more sophisticated tape. word to describe that. It is sticky tape. It is. <laughs> that was just a, was just a wild stab in the dark. <laughs> I have, I was, when I grew up with the early Americanization of our TV, I was like surprised when people referred to photocopying as Xeroxing. Yeah, Xeroxing. And it was just, you know, I used to watch a lot of, uh, like Starsky and Hutch yeah, yeah. and Hardcastle and McCormick. If anybody remembers Hardcastle and McCormick, uh, I used to watch a lot of, you know, these detective shows from the US. Sure. And they used to really throw words around that I didn't really know what they meant as a kid, like jerk. <laughs> like you jerk. Something to have made, isn't it? I didn't know what it meant. But isn't that, but isn't that wanker? Yes. That's what I would say over here. Yeah. It is, yeah, because it's like, you know, wanking and jerking off the same thing i guess it is yeah. and when i did when i grew up and i thought oh my god i used to watch that when i was like nine <laughs> we should talk about porsche these are porsche talk podcasts yes, we should. i've got a long list of topics here i'd like to cover off oh you have i've only got like three things that i want to cover off and not directly all porsche related but in yeah the okay thing. yeah sure let's start with the Mildly successful start to the endurance racing season. The Porsche company with the new 963 and the new GD3R across the two categories there. See, I saw the launches and I saw the, you know, the when they went out and did the testing, but I haven't seen the results. Ah, well, How they... mildly successful were they? I think they were third, or, no, seventh at Daytona. I think was 
the highest Second. placed car. Yeah, yeah. Technical problems, battery problem, battery replacement, and transmission problems. Yeah, 24 hours. Look, That's they were not bad then. Competitive on the track, like they led the race for a period of time. What's actually quite good with endurance racing in the US, the IMSA, the motoring body over there that runs these category, these categories of racing, have a free live stream online called IMSA.TV. Ooh. So you can watch the whole event, all of their events for free, which is they either can't sell them to TV, so they're still allowed to do this, or they actually include that in their contract when they are selling the TV rights to these events, which is, I think, fantastic as a fan of the race. So that was the uh, event there at Daytona. It was looking so-so the week before when they had the Raw before the 24, which is like a weekend of everyone can go testing on the same track to see how their cars are going to go. It's the first race of the endurance racing season. But the cars were fast enough, but they just weren't reliable enough yet. Brand new car. But everyone's in a brand new car. Yeah, and I guess not in a brand new formula category though. Yeah, but and regardless of the fact that everybody's got um, yeah their own motors and that sort of thing, I think these in the same they're all going to use the same hybrid system. Is my simplistic understanding, and I think pretty much all the chassis are actually manufactured by Multimatic, you know, the company in Canada who build all the high end race cars. So I think they're made to spec. Don't get me wrong; it's not a uniform platform, a unified platform. However, it's uh, that's my understanding. Unless there's listeners out there that know better than I do, and there probably is, if they could reach out to us, give us an update on um, that part of it. And we also had the Bathurst Twelve Hour at Mount Panorama last weekend, which is uh, not a GTP category event, but it's a big GT three event. Cars from all over the world converge for uh, the race, and second after twelve hours by less than a second. So that's, oh, wow. a, that's hard racing, you know, so, but yeah, no cigar. They, look, there's a lot of AMG GT3 cars in there and the uh, new 911R yeah, did well, but didn't quite get across the line on the top step. So that was uh, quite interesting. I actually, on a slightly different Porsche topic, literally three minutes before this podcast started, received... An email from Porsche Cars America regarding planned or hoped for planned Red Sport reunion trip. What did they say? Yes, here's a they G3 said, RS. No, but try this. America in. Try, try this. No, but try this other uh, Porsche Center. So I tried the one over in um in um, uh, Georgia. Atlanta, Porsche Center Atlanta. Yep. And they said Porsche Center LA are better uh, are a better facility to deal with your request. Good luck. And they mentioned that they listen. No way. Why? So yeah, thank you. The uh, thank you list thank you to Porsche Center Atlanta for listening. The Porsche Experience Center Atlanta. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Porsche Center, well, Experience Center Atlanta. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I was that. quite surprised too. Uh, nonetheless, does that mean we're going to be more the four listeners? Yeah, we've got four we'll listeners. We've got four listeners. Yeah. Look, it may be the janitor there, but nonetheless, it's someone there. 
Yes, someone there. I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, take that have I. yeah so uh, I'll, they've put me in touch with someone. They've included them in the response email, so I'll follow that up, see how that goes. Uh, have you noticed of late uh, the – oh, hang on. Before we go any further on this, because this, we talk about this too late in the podcast each, each episode, the giveaway – Yes. Yes. Tell got, me about the giveaway. Got a winner. I have not heard anything from anybody. Oh, really? Okay. I've had a, I've had a few people reach out, but I'm going to give it to the first person that reached out. So it's the yes. Porsche licensed phone charger official, Steve Bursey. He's an Aussie guy. Oh, List, he's a listener. Yes. So, well, firstly, thanks for an Aussie guy reaching out. So it's reduced my uh, postage cost and <laughs> and. Uh, Judging from his Instagram posts, he doesn't mind a barbecue and separately cats. No. Thankfully, not the same thing. Barbecuing cats. Yeah, not barbecue cats. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, Steve, if you're listening again, drop me another line with your um, address and I'll post this out to you. Brilliant. Yes, yes. Good. Yes. Got another we need to find another giveaway now. Yeah, I've got another book this week. They're coming in thick and fast from Ooh. anyone and everyone. And actually, I didn't, I didn't bring here to show to you. It's on my bedside table, sorry. But because, uh, let's face it, the listeners can't see it anyway. As was pointed out to me by how much time we spent going ooh and ah about cars in Porsche Unseen when I was uh, explaining that book to you last episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we had a few, it was few, great radio. a few comments as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that it, could be that could be a show. Guess what I'm looking at? Yeah. <laughs> this could be. A, should this be a should this be a um a section in future podcasts? Guess what I'm looking at. No, in all yeah. seriousness, uh, Hushka von Hanstein, the Racing Baron, an autobiography. Now, for those that don't know, Hushka was pretty much the creator of the concept of public relations in the automotive industry. He approached the Porsche family and said, your cars are good, you should go and race them. And they said, we don't have any experience in this. He says, that's all right, I'll help you out. Give me a car, give me some, give me a few cars, give me some drivers and give me a support team and let's go down to the uh, Targa Florio in these 550s. <laughs> and he did. And history was written very simplistically. The, the book was published back in 2000, so it's a, what's that, 23 years ago now? I don't know how that happened. 2023. Does that make it a classic? Look, I don't know. I think it's going to be uh, 25 years old, doesn't it? It'd be a classic as well. And it's it, just vintage then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, right now, it's uh, used bookshop fodder. The, um, but it's a, it's a lot of pictures. The guy's history is amazing. He does come from Prussian royalty originally, so. You know, his family line and they have a lot of – but he wasn't raised – he was raised very, um, uh, I guess, uh, what's the best way to describe it? They probably had a lot, but they weren't given a lot. You know, that old, if you ever want to find a real right. tight ass, find someone with a lot of money mentality. So – Yep. Uh, yeah, so it was, yeah, it's been interesting so far, the reading, it's – I haven't got to the bit where he's gone racing with Porsches, but he raced motorcycles before then. Uh, 
he had his one Miller Miller in the past. So really? as a driver himself, wow. so he's, he's a driver in his own right. Yeah, so it's for those, like I said, for those that don't, the book was, oh, give me a second. Who wrote the thing? It was written by oh, Tobias um, Achal. So if anyone's out there looking for it, I'll actually put the details in the um, description of the podcast. So if anyone looking for it, they'll be able to um, hunt it down because it's actually pretty entertaining. A lot of photos in there too, which are great. So that's yeah, that that's this week's book club. Oh, so speaking of speaking, just slightly slightly off topic, but you know the racing from back in the day, and, and Porsche getting into sure. racing. Um, have you seen those drawings of the three five seven? Is it? Yes. Have you seen that? Yes. Um, and which is sort of that car that you'd see in the Porsche Unseen book, really? Yeah, it's it's concept. It's not real. And they've put it out there, and I kind of look at it and think, was that just someone playing? And they thought, oh, yeah, that's decent enough to just put out into the public domain, but we're never going to build it kind of thing. Um, because I couldn't see the point of making such a big deal of, of putting a picture out. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking at it wrong. But I couldn't see any where it would fit in as a, you know, whether it was going to go in that book, whether anybody put any real design thought into it or someone just went oh let's just do a mock-up of what a 357 might have looked like and put it out there and it's kind of almost like a um like something like rod emery would do if someone said to him make the next iteration of a 356 and he would make something like that if you looked at it you'd go yeah that's something he's done it didn't really strike me as a hey this has come from Porsche. i couldn't really see the point of it yeah okay the i got absolutely bombarded on socials the day it came out as a 356 enthusiast. The, look, there's a lot of commentary out there regarding the design itself. Personally, mm. I think it's a bit untidy. It's hasn't really, the front end has done a pretty good job of, the back end is a bit too, I'd have to say even maybe 30s Bugatti, mate, or something like that. It's just, almost art deco-y in the back end it's i don't know the the design isn't very complete it's like you do the front you I do thought it was incoherent yeah i couldn't i thought it was incoherent but yeah, it didn't that, really go together and what i thought i thought was super interesting is using these design concepts they go super futuristic on you know power plants and that sort of stuff but the whole car was designed to around the gd4 rs platform which hmm. surprised me a lot that they didn't use a hybrid or an electric or something like that. However, I I think that might be the physically smallest Porsche platform that currently exists. So that's probably why they use yeah. it. You know, because a three five six is such a small car. Uh, so I'm not too sure. The I don't think I don't I think that in this day and age, someone like Rod Emery, if he was asked to do this would probably do something more refined this looks like yeah, it was rendered in terms of looks design. yeah this i think yeah. this rendering was done by someone who was told come up with a 357 idea who's 30 years old or 25 years old 
you know, which is an evolution on 356. And that person's gone, what's a 356? Let me just Google that. Oh, okay. And then off he's gone or she's gone. Not actually someone who's got that car in their DNA, if you get my drift. I reckon it's the design version of chat GPT that someone's put in and said, (laughs) give me the next iteration of a 356 using a GT4 RS platform. And this is what the AI engine came out with. It just looks like that. I suspect, right, you now look at everything through that lens. I look a lot of I look at a lot of things through that because now when I get an unsolicited email about something saying somebody wants to work with me and I think, did you really write that? When I hear a new song, I go, did you really write yeah. that? I see a new article, <laughs> did you really write that? And you just go, I see, I see a new book and I go, did someone really write that? Yeah. So it's getting to the point where you just think, and you know, especially because that 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 kind of AI engine. Uh, ChatGPT and now Google are coming out with their own version, which is going to be called Bard or something like that. It's mostly used at the moment in real anger in um, in marketing. So really? you know, I've tried it. I, That's because I've, I've gone. People's jobs are on the line. That's why. Oh yeah, absolutely. So if, and and you know, there's also that thing about you know, people, kids are going to use it for writing their. Um, their schoolwork, school homework, their essays, and and whatever they have to so write. The, the education department's all over it here in in Western Australia in the paper. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know how are they going to how are teachers going to and lecturers going to stop that? Um, but you know, and and Microsoft have just launched a, a last minute event that's going to be about how they're going to introduce it into the their search engine Bing. And soon it'll be in, in PowerPoint where you'll say, create me a um, a slide deck with blah, blah, blah. Create me a document with blah, 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 word. But, um, but at, at the moment, it's, you know, I put into it, I said, uh, create me a marketing campaign for Vodafone with a tagline and use uh, case studies. And it came up with a massive blurb. And I sent it to my friend who is a director at a marketing and advertising firm. He's a founder and a director. Sure. And and he said, I know you want me to say that's terrible. And he went, but it's really quite good. <laughs> <laughs> and all you've got to do, you've got the, the difference is you haven't got to start from scratch. You've just got to fact check it because it's taken it from, from the internet. So it's not, you know, it's going to present stuff from the internet that might be fake news or might be a hit on a Google search, but it's going to present it as facts. So you have to go away and fact check it. But um, but yeah, it does make you kind of question everything. It's been a look. It's been a hot topic across a lot of podcasts. And where chat is GPT chat or Chat GPT? I can't remember which way it goes. Anyway, Chat GPT. Yeah, Chat GPT. What they've done really uh, smartly is they're going to offer education um, facilities a platform to um, upload documents and GPT will come back and tell them whether or not it was created through their platform. Now, where this is really smart is if it wasn't, they've now increased the size of their database and usability of information. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? So they actually, this it's going to be one of those self-perpetuating, you know, circles. And like, like what, the other, um, what the other podcasts I've heard talk about this are quite relevant in this is really – a great filter 
to differentiate between quality journalism and fodder in the same way that the internet did with um, online shopping with average businesses and quality businesses. You know, I think it's going to be, I think we're going to end, it's just an evolution of that in a different industry. And it's an industry that got a belt when eBooks came out or, you know, the demise of the weekly magazine, they've just copped another belt. Yeah, because let's face it, journalism is probably the single biggest um, or the easiest target for this product or the term journalism loosely used to, you know, for vlogging and stuff like that. So what I find a bit mediocre about the whole thing is you got people like you who are already half cynical and now just completely cynical about every single thing they ever see. Did Porsche really design that 911? No, I, I, I'm not completely cynical. Oh, you are Porsche now. Didn't, you weren't you know, Porsche, I know Porsche. I know Porsche designed my 996 and my 912. That's fact. Did you, did you, did you fact check it? <laughs> I, I, think, I think the thing the, the thing with it is is because it's been and and people need to remember that it's not been monetized yet, so they've not said you've got to subscribe to the service, and it's it only give presents you facts up to twenty twenty one. So if something's happened in the last two years, it doesn't know it. Hang on, just wait. It's I just want to stop. We've had a thought process of a previous, just what we spoke about a minute ago. You said you know that they designed the 911, 912, yet the conversation essentially came onto this topic from you not knowing whether or not they designed the 357. Yeah, but the 357 is now. The 996 was 25 years ago. Yeah, but ago. what about the next 911? The next 911 is obviously going to be designed by just some computer like, you know, Jarvis in the Marvel movies or, you know, Hal from Space Odyssey <laughs> 2000. <laughs> uh, it's going to be only the new 911 and make it fatter. Now, I know... With the pH. <laughs> I know we had homework for this, and I reckon you didn't do it. I, um, actually, I don't even know what the homework was. <laughs> Cheapest way in repayments to get into a POV pack Carrera. Oh, damn, I didn't do it. No. Hang on, hear the silence of surprise from our listeners? I know, I can't, I can't, I'm not quick enough to get onto chat GPT and say, what's the... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you this, But the thing is... I'll tell you the Aussie pricing. How's that sound to start this? Hit me. Yes. Absolute cheapest POV pack drive away Carrera in Western Australia because we have different uh, taxes in different states around Australia, but they're all very similar. There's not, there's no light night and day difference. It might be $5,000 difference between the dearest and the cheapest. Okay. So I just want to lay that out in line that this is okay. Western Australian pricing, which is. Even if you can save five thousand, more than half that'll be spent in trucking the car to Western Australia That's on the true. stamp duty, right? And on top of that, you're going to have to put Western Australian number plates on it at some point. At which point, you then have to pay the stamp duty anyway. Oh my god, so okay. complicated! So this is relevant to where I live. Okay, this I'm glad you're sitting down. 
$287,004 for Poverty Pack Carrera. That is £165,820. Wait, 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 wait. That, that's a, that's, hang on. The, the little explosion has just got off in my brain. That, that's, if I walked into a dealership yes. and I said, give me base, the base, cheapest, base. lowest spec, brand new 911, mm. I'd have to pay the equivalent of 165,000 pounds. 820. Don't forget the 820. It's nearly 166 in that case. It's a ridiculous amount of money. And I guess if you're thinking, right, I'm going to compare, this is a sort of inconsistent comparison, but I'm going to compare. So my 911, 996, is kind of almost, you know, it's not really poverty fact because it's got some extensions it's got the extra leather and things like that which were a few thousand pounds and it's got the three sure. spoke steering wheel which was a few hundred pounds but it cost brand new sixty five thousand pounds twenty five years ago this sure. year mm-hmm. and I wonder what that is in today's money if I that's what I was thinking what what is that in today's money? It'd have let's it'd have to be eighty thousand, ninety thousand by now, wouldn't it? I would think so around there, but that so eighty or ninety thousand. Okay, and I, 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 for next time I will definitely go and work out. In fact, Can you make it a note? Write it down for me, will you? I know, but I write it down. But I, then I can't read my own writing. Okay, and then, um, I, then I went and looked at the finance options. Okay, Ten, we said ten percent deposit. Okay. Yep. So ten percent deposit. And the biggest balloon repayment I could get was 50% of car value. So after how many years is that? Seven years. After seven years? Yeah. Okay. Which I thought was pretty generous uh, balloon for that period, but it is a 911. Hang on. So 50% balloon payment. So you pay 50% of it in At seven years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know you've paid 50% in monthly payments. In seven years, and then there's a, another fifty percent. Made a ton more than fifty percent in monthly payments because you got interest, haven't you? Yeah, that's true. Yes, now so you, you still pay way have, more at the end of the seven-year period. You still have outstanding an amount that is fifty percent of the initial car's purchase price. You pay interest on the whole lot, but you only pay it's, down to half the value. That's, that's how it works, right? That, you know that had the power to almost leave me speechless. That's so. So, in in seven years, yes, a seven. So imagine you know you do five thousand miles a year. So thirty five thousand miles mm. for seven years. Yep. It doesn't matter what the condition of the car is. If you want to keep it, no, no, you've got to pay no, no, three thousand pounds. You have to keep it. We don't have a want to keep it. If you don't want to keep it, you got to sell it, and you still owe the finance company that fifty percent. Oh, yeah, it's finance company. It's not like over here where you do. Well, no, no it's we not don't, like we don't have to give the car thing. back thing. No, no, that doesn't exist over here. Yeah, because that happens over three or four years, doesn't it? Three years where you can pay a massive balloon. Over here, that's they call it PCP, which is not angel dust, by the way. It's a, a payment contract plan type thing. And you have the car for three years, I think it is. And then you can either keep it and make a massive balloon payment or you hand it back 
and get a new new car, a brand new car, and just keep making monthly payments. So you never actually so, own the car then? So you never own the car. So does that mean you'd have to pay insurance or registration or the licensing? Is that covered by the owner? No, of the you, car? you, no, 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 no. PCP doesn't work that way. Oh. You've got to pay all wear and tear, all servicing, all insurance, all road tax. And then when you, you get the pay car back, back, is there an agreed, like well, just has to be in roadworthy condition or something? Does it? Is that what the? No, it has to be within a certain mileage. Yeah, it can't yeah. have excessive mileage, mm-hmm. and it has to have been serviced by a warranted or a credited garage, yeah. and it's um, and it has to be uh, in a condition. I think it has to be in resale condition almost. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So we've got yeah. So that came out to two thousand seven hundred and forty-one dollars per month, or one thousand five hundred eighty-three pounds. So. Fifteen eighty-three pounds wow. per month for seven years. Seven years. <laughs> so how much is that stuff to seven years? Three hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars plus your balloon. So you're getting up paying about four hundred for the thing. So four hundred. Close That's to five hundred. Well, that's how finance works, though. Isn't it? Finance always works like that, though. What what percentage is that the finance? I think it's at six point nine or something at the moment. All right, that's that's. I was going to say that's huge, but it's probably about right. It's about right. It's there and about. So I looked at several places, and whilst this particular example was the cheapest I could find, the next ten were within twenty dollars a month. You know what I mean? So it's not like it's they're completely off. So how? So you can't just go in and buy one then you need stupid amounts of money of course you can go and buy one it's only 200 it's only two hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars. if you're at 165,820 yeah, pounds you can just walk in and get slap it on the table and i'll give you a car yeah but i'm just gonna be childish and say what about the money but um but the sorry that i'm just losing my mind but if if um you've got 280 I tell you what really surprised me with you on this topic. Yeah. Is firstly, globally everyone acknowledges cars in the UK are worth nothing. If you want any whatever car series, no matter what it is, if you want the cheapest one in the world, it's always in the UK, right? Particularly Porsche. Yeah. You know, if you want to buy a if you want to buy your car in the States, it's a forty thousand dollar car yep. US now, right? And the reality of your car, because you know, be right. they're changing hands all the time with this number now, right? Whereas, you know, if you want to buy, if I wanted to buy your car in the States, you said, if you decide today I've had a gut full, I'm going to sell it. I might even wash it. No, no, I'll just sell it. And you go, you go put on market, today's value, what are we talking, 20,000 pounds? 25,000 pounds? Over here? Yeah. Over, over here? No, I, I pretty 12. 12,000 pounds? Yeah. So there you're at 20 US, right? Maybe less. What's that, 15, 17 US or something, right? It's about 15, yeah. Yeah, but they're not. They're 40. This is my point. This is how far off market UK cars are. But I can sort of understand. And But if I paid the £165,819 equivalent in Australia for the car, in 12 months' time, it will still be – it's not dropping to 12000 You know what I mean? It'll still be – 
the, the, the lifespan of the car. Like, if I want a 996 like yours in Australia now, it's a, it's a seventy dollars to $80,000 car. It's nuts. You know, so it's – the, the values are reflective regardless across the life of the car, not just the purchase price. I do think the – we're at extreme ends of the market, aren't we? Australia and the UK. Oh, pretty you know, there, are, there are more extreme than Australia, but for the podcast listeners, oh, look, there are listeners, which I know there are quite a few listeners in Singapore who listen to us, um, looking at our analytics, get over in Singapore. The uh, Their cars make ours look like yours. That's, that's extreme extreme because Singapore, I'm not sure, likes cars. Oh, as a nation? Oh, no, they love cars. The Singapore government so why loves so making money out of the cars. All uh, right, okay. So, and, and people have money. And there's a thing that, you know, there's probably people in Singapore, there's more of a, I'm, I'm making a real massive generalisation here, more of a percentage of people in Singapore who have that kind of money so they can go and buy one, whereas... Australia must be much like here. There's a percentage of people who have that but, money. No, I tell you, you it, can't just walk in. It's actually not true. You guys have a much. You guys on your average income would be a much higher level of affluence than Australia. How does that work? How do you guys? I don't know. You guys just, just mustn't spend it. Well, Aren't you guys like the financial center of the globe for like a thousand years? Well, isn't is it the extreme wealthy just buy? 911s over there because they're they're quite they're, they're quite common over here you know varying ages. Well, we're not surprised they cost the same as a Volkswagen Beetle over there. Well, a secondhand one, yeah. Yeah, this is my point. Secondhand. Yeah, I don't know, but I need to I need to work it out. I, I, need to work it out I, I think they've left a lot of money on the table in the UK. I think they could bite the bullet for mm-hmm. twelve months to two years, take a hit on their sales. And they should have done this during COVID, really, because, or at the end of COVID when they had the production line delays, and just said, let's br- let's bring the UK market back in line with the rest of the world for values on our cars for selling new, right? And just gone kaboom, you know, actually thrown another. If you're not eleven, they're now another seventy thousand pounds on top of, right? And you know, your market would adjust within a year, two years. Because anyone that's buying a new 911 is still going to buy a new 911. That seventy thousand pounds isn't going to be the disruptor. And you know, if someone like Porsche did it, AMG are going to go. If they're doing it, we're going to do it. And then Aston says, "Well, we're going to do it too." Then and then Lambo says, "We're going to do it." And all of a sudden, your whole market rises up to where the rest of the global stand is. But in saying that, I'll tell you what's really what cars are really expensive in the UK. New are Ferraris compared to the rest of the world. So, I think. Yeah, so Ferrari's gotten away with it. I just don't know why not, why the other brand they haven't with the other brands. I was just thinking if if the other brands did go and try and make that adjustment. So let's say Porsche did, right? Yep. During the pandemic, they went 70 grand on top, they took a two-year hit. But would would that price increase cascade down into the older cars? Well, it's just supply and demand, isn't it? So it's just time. Mm. Like whoever bought True. the car for the 70 grand more. They're going to have to keep it for a bit longer. But once these other cheap cars drop out of the market, and you know what? Used car sellers, whether they're commercial or private, are going to see, hang on, a new one's just gone up 70 grand. If someone wants mine, I'm not giving it away for nothing. And they get that first, 
that first people who are already sitting on cars, they're going to make a whack of money when they do sell their cars on that first sale. But after that, it'll then self-correct, won't it? Yeah, yeah, it will. But I'm, I don't know because ultimately, I think in the long term, it would harm their sales, but it would harm the brand and the popularity of the brand because there's so many of the cars that are accessible to people like me would in years to come become inaccessible to all those people because that that well, price that, well, will, that, that, well, will carry through the life of that car. But that's every other country in the world except you, Ajmal. And you guys aren't mm. the most populated, right? You, you are the second largest buyer of Porsche in Europe, is my understanding, as a nation. Yeah, so, that's true. you know, it's not – and you guys aren't even – I think you guys represent about 14% of vehicle sales in the US. I think California as a state actually sells two or three times more than the whole of the UK. So there is, it's an outlier that they should fix. No, no, if you, Porsche, I know you're listening. Don't, <laughs> don't fix it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know because that's my that's my rant still, on the financial uh, state of affairs on Porsche in the UK somewhere I don't live. Well, I right? think, well, I just think this because it would damage the brand only because when I think about you know what's happening at the moment with the cost of living crisis, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, utility prices, gas, electricity has gone through sure. the roof. Mm-hmm. Fuel prices through the roof, but and everyone's saying it's because of the Ukraine invasion, it's because of the pandemic, it's because of all of these things, sure. but. Supply hasn't really been restricted. And, you know, the price of gas kind of went up and then came back down. But when suddenly when these companies like BP and, you know, gas, the gas companies are publishing their, their financials. Yeah, they're gouging. Out, right. They're making yeah, more profit, you know, than any record since records began. They're making more profit. And then they're trying to bury that profit and say, oh, no, it's because of this, it's because of that. And and everybody thinks, oh my god, you're just completely and utterly taking the piss now. And every, you know, while people are struggling to pay those bills, you were just saying, well, actually, I can bury that news in the pandemic in the Ukraine invasion. And would people look at Porsche in the same way? I know they're actually brand, and I know people will still buy. Them. There will still be people who want to buy those products. But will people? Will the rest of us view them in a way that? That's quite mercenary. What you've done, you've taken the market and gone. Actually, I could exploit that for more. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. But it'd just be a global price correction. In fact, it won't be. It'll be a UK price correction to come in correct in line with the rest of the world. You think I should go and buy one? Brand spanking. Brand spanking new. It's the cheapest. You live the place that is the cheapest to buy one. Then I'll ship it to you. I don't want to. I don't sell it for twice. I don't need a rusty 911 that I can't find a home for. No, a brand new brand spanker. Uh, it's the UK, they're dealership. delivered with rust. No, no, it's not delivered with rust. I won't even drive it on the road. We'll do that classic. And you know, this takes me on to a bugbear. A bugbear, because Mark of 911 Cab Dreams just sent me uh, on Instagram a link for a, a 997, 2011 997 GT3 for sale. Great car. It was and. Great car with 202 miles on the clock. 202,000 miles. 12 years. No, 202 miles. <laughs> now, that car is nearly 12 years old. 
right? So it's been doing 20 miles, let's say 20 miles a year. But the thing you is, just think, what's the fucking point? What's the fucking I'm sorry, I'm gonna go off on a rant. What's the fucking point of that being made and shipped out apart from just to be passed around like a you know, a, a trophy to just how many hands must that have passed through just as an investment? And you just think all that design, all that creativity, all that engineering that went into that complete and utter waste. It's sat in a garage. Well, there is what some. The there's some good news about this. Is there? Is yeah, there? Yeah, there I'm going to is. see it right now. Right, I'm, I'm, let, me let me share a different insight to it. Okay. It's a Mesca motor, so it won't have bore scoring or IMS issues, as we mentioned last week <laughs> about a 996. Oh, no sure, <laughs> if the engine doesn't even have to work, it's not fucking driving it. No, I, um, I reckon if you bought that car, you'd have problems. You know, maintenance, your first oh, yeah, couple you of maintenance problems. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Right, there's, so you got that issue. You suddenly went... How much is it? Uh, it was auction, so I, I, didn't, ah. I didn't see how much it was. Okay. But I think, but if you think about it, if you think about, yeah, if you suddenly bought it and you, you let's say you won, you know, hundred million dollars on the on lottery and it cost you, you know, half a million, right? And you went, I'm going to buy that. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to drive it. I'm just going to drive it. You're right. You're better off going and buying one with 50,000 miles on it because you'll get down the road and stuff will just start going wrong. I don't reckon there'd be that many GD3s, even 997s. That have even got 50,000 miles on them. Because whenever I see used GD3s in general, there's just not a lot of Ks put on them. Why is that? Because they're toys. They're not dailies. Now, you know, let's talk about how many Ks you've put on your 912 in the last 12 months. 40? It's not the same. That's it is exactly the, the same. same. Yeah, it's it? different. If someone's got a car, they keep it in storage. Right. Oh, they just don't I get to it because they, they had got kids and they bought it with cash. And they just don't need that cash realised right now when they did buy it. You're, it's exactly the so same I'll, as you. I'll, it's just a different number. No, but I'll give you a realistic. I'll give you a realistic comparison. That I have used my nine twelve probably ten percent of the time. You know, that I actually want to. I actually want to drive it ten times more than that. But because of circumstances, I haven't yep, been able yep. to. But how many cases, how, many, how done, many miles a year you, would you have averaged since your ownership of that car? Really? Um, since it wouldn't be a thousand. I bet you. Uh, it'd be more than five hundred, easy. Yeah, but it wouldn't be a thousand, would it? So we're talking. Okay, let's say five hundred miles per uh, year that, since you've owned it. First and second year would have been a thousand. Third year it went into storage, so it'd be less. And now we're into the fourth year, so it'll be less. That's more to do with me not having a garage locally. Be, Otherwise, but these, as soon as the weather these would be the reasons why this out. car exists with the Ks on it. No, that's not the reason. 12 years, 200 miles. That's not the reason. Oh, God, I deliberate. hope we're doing this podcast in another, in another 11 years, just so we can talk about how many Ks your uh, 912's done in the last 10. It'll be round the clock by then because I'll be using it all the time. Because the clock's only got four digits on it. Yeah, but also it won't matter about the weather because of global warming, you know. I'll have put air conditioning in it and uh, it'll be, yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I will because otherwise I'll just melt outside. Have you seen Robocop 1 (laughs) where they have to slather all that shit on to go outside (laughs) for half an hour and, and buy that for a dollar? You look, you, but your rant is your rant is justified. No K cars, they shit me too. It's like that nine nine eleven R I mentioned in the last podcast. It's for sale down the road at the Porsche Center. 
The thing's exactly seven what years you old. Do is year. go in there, go in there, sit in it, ask to see the key, fire it up, and just drive off for a thousand miles, and then come back. <laughs> and then go. I'm sorry about that. Oh, good. But it probably, but all we know is it'll probably break down after three miles. Yeah, you want to talk about rust? I do want to talk about rust, but only I don't know if I do now. No, I do. Um, it was only because it was my segue before um, you took it on weird. a different angle. By the way, I did, I did, but it was <laughs> it was because I've been looking at before I bought my nine twelve. I've been looking at buying a, a G body, um, a nineteen early nineteen eighties SC Targa. And is that when SC stood for Super Carrera, not Sport Classic? (laughs) I know, Sport Classic. Yeah, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) So, because when I when I first saw it, and I thought that'll be really cheap, you know, it's um, it's this is about three or four years ago, and it sold for twenty five thousand pounds. Sure. So it needed a little bit of work. Yeah. Um, but it but it needed quite a lot of work. Mm, do I ended up They're buying, yeah. And but it was right hand drive, and yeah. I could have just got in it and driven it. But it would have needed the kidney balls doing and stuff like that. So extensive, like expensive work. Um, whereas, I guess I bought my nine twelve for more than that for five thousand pounds more. Um, but that would have been a more usable car. But it would have had that weakness of it would have been the Targa. So. You know, the structurally, the floor had so much more importance in terms of structure. So any rust would have been bad. I'd have to get that fixed immediately. But those cars, the early 80s ones, were galvanized. From I, 19, I think it's from 1977, um, the year was the first year of galvanizing. Yeah, which is really quite early for any kind of car to be galvanized. I mean, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make, make any difference. You find a G-body it, car it doesn't, rust. But, well, yeah, because you get, what, 10 years in, and then they start rusting. So you've kind of delayed it for about 10 years, but then once they start rusting, it's not like they rust slower than a non-gavalized car. They just they, they just go for it once it starts. So when I started looking at it, I was thinking, that's so much rust when I looked at it. And because it was a UK car yep. from, from birth, you're right, it had tons of rust on it. Um, and now that I look at my 996 which is now 25 years old. And I start to think, oh my God, that's probably starting to rust now. I've had no emotive advisories or anything about rust. It's got a little bit coming out the back where it's a standard mud trap. So even if I was washing it every week, you wouldn't be washing it into that inner wing under the uh, mud guard. So I guess we're going to start seeing rusty 996s coming along. Starts And 986s. Well, I haven't seen any that are people are. Se- I've seen a couple that are for sale where you can see the rust, but they're not. They're still structurally sound. Remember Whereas nine, you're going to start seeing some seven that point, are. There are nine nine seven point twos, UK imports here in Australia, that are for sale. In fact, I'll find some, and you, mate, you can put your hands in the holes. That's probably something to do with... On the underside I'm talking about, not what you can see through the shiny paint. I'm talking about the undercarriage of the car. I oh, See, I don't, I'm not sure, because over here I know that 996s and 986s are going to start being scrapped or dismantled for parts because they're, they're at such a low price point that if someone says it needs £5,000 worth of welding, a lot of people are going to go, well, I'll just, I'll just sell 
sell the engine gearbox for five thousand pounds. Yep. I'll sell the interior for another thousand, and flog it that way. So I'm I'm thinking we're going to start seeing the demise of a lot of those cars now because 993s are you know they they were never really dailies some people did use them for dailies but i think the ones that did get used as dailies they're probably dead already now look i I can i think you're um i don't agree with that i think the g-body cars were the start of the daily 911s the sheer volume they manufactured for the yeah it doesn't matter the lifespan of it the tolerance by people was greater back then for discomfort hajma you know what I mean? So That's true. Yeah. You know, so as you know, through that period of what's that, seventy four through to 88, 89, I think this G body series. Yeah. It's a long production life. That car there, and like mm. you know, if you want an equal car, they're by far the cheapest, simply because there are so many of them. You know, the because it had such a long production life, and you go nine six four nine nine three, they actually went ballistic in price to buy new. You know, to, that's three point two G fifty cars in the in the um, in the uh, G body cars. They're extremely valuable, mainly because they were so expensive to buy. As so that you know, they're essentially this you know the step needed to get into the nine six four chassis. So all the mechanicals were sorted out before then, and then they got into nine six four, and that's you know the the start of the modern era. Regardless of the fact they're still air cooled, aren't they? I don't know because in terms of production numbers, obviously they went stratospheric, didn't they? When they got into the nine nine six and the nine eight six, yeah, for sure, started making yeah. them in such huge numbers. But that's those numbers are reflective of demand on the product as they were for the G series. The lull in it really because the the I think the affluence level or appetite for spending that sort of money on a new sports car was greater at the nine nine six period launch. So I think that combined with aircon that worked, right? You know, and yeah, comfort and things and like that. But I actually think, and that's why you see so I many. I actually think the comp. I actually think a nine nine three, a base nine 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 three, and a base nine nine six to sit in. Whilst there's more space in the nine nine six, I actually think the nine nine three feels more luxurious and high quality. You know, he's a pl- you know, it hasn't got um, the nasty plastics and stuff like that. The biggest problem with the 903 is it just looks – it's dated, the interior, because it hasn't evolved a great deal since the G-cars. Yeah, see, I've sat, I've sat in a 993, and you're right. It's, it's, it's very basic when you sit in it. Even, you know, one of the S's, it's, it's very basic. And then in a 996, for its time, the interior was kind of okay. But it, I mean, when you when you look at the, the the massive leap between a 996 and a 997 interior, it's it's ridiculous. It's like you well, know, it was 50 years because it's on between. But you've also got to remember that 996 slash 986 period, Porsche would just be able to tip over. Yeah, they had to yep. consolidate all these things to you know unified parts between them. They had to bring out a cheaper car. They were doing whatever they could to rescue the company because it was going to um, go under. So there are a lot of factors here that, you know, came to a perfect storm of just build them and then if they're not selling, we'll sell them cheaper mentality because we need the cash to keep the business going. That, that with the 996, I think also with it, with it being liquid-cooled, it, everyone started, as soon as they were bought, they just became dailies. 
and which is why you're seeing so many 986s and uh, 996s with huge mileages. And, you know, it's not uncommon. Mine's, mine's about to hit 160,000 miles. And it's not uncommon to see lots of 996s out there for sale with that and higher mileage and 986s. And a lot of them probably won't have had an engine rebuilt. They've probably had not had their IMS done, IMS bearing, uh, because they just had so much mileage and they've had a clutch change every, you know, I don't know, five to seven years. So the IMS RMS gets done. Um, and they just keep going and keep going and keep going as long as you keep servicing them. So it'll be it'll be interesting when that rust kicks in and people go, actually, it's not economical to fix it. Past tense, the rust has already kicked in. You just can't see it. Uh, terminal rust is what I meant. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, we didn't get the volume of 996s that you guys have, and I think that's also contributed to the low values of the cars. That's a fair point. Because mm. we got loads. Because 996s here were still bought by enthusiasts and really, really um, died in the wool enthusiasts. Not, oh, it's another brand of sports car because of the front end on the car, how polarising it was when the car came out. You know, people, the number of people went from 993 to 996 would be more common than the number of people that went never owned a Porsche into 996. That's my gut feel on it here in Australia. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Is it, How's that was for it more polarising then? Well, I just think, was it more polarising then or now? Because at the time, obviously, all the reviews... You know, it was the, the first Evo car of the year. Um, and every review said it's better than the 993 in every single way. Except the one that matters so, to a lot of people at the time. I don't know, though. It, it wasn't at the time. If you look at the reviews, not that many people mentioned it. And I think that but, came later. But that's but because it, back then, media was bought a lot more than it is today. You only had, you know, those five or six avenues. Oh, for sure. Do you think anyone... Has ever won Evo Car of the Year without um, money changing hands, either formally or informally, through marketing, advertising, who's, commitments? Who's the cynic now? Who's the cynic now? <laughs> it's the it's the industry. It's it's, it's spoken about openly. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me the Academy well, Awards are won on merit. Well, there's 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 the. Um, do think that you know because now journalism and reviews of cars are, are very different because influencers get them some yeah. of them get them ahead of the you know heavyweight journalists and no they just publish they do that. because they can publish immediately yeah exactly and they do the you know two-hour drive and go yeah. this is my review of mm -hmm. x car and if they turn around and go do you know what it's just they're never going to get it. Get another car. A lot of journalists do that. Again. But Matt Farrow does it. Johnny Liebman does it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a lot of them wouldn't. There's, there's always they always redeem when they when I see it, they go, "This is a heap of shit." And then by the end of it, they get actually it's not bad because they've driven it for two and a half hours instead of two hours. So, but I always think there's there's no one who just turns around and says, I just don't get it. Why have they made this car? It's shit. No one should ever go and buy it. No, you know, there, there's no such review out there because they know they'll never get another car like that. Therefore, it's not an independent review, is it? That is true. Anyway, okay. I want to move on to another topic. 
and that is how many podcasts are being launched? Do you know what? So many. So so Ben Collins has just launched one, the Stig, the first Stig. And you know, and, and the thing is, obviously, they're this isn't a criticism of them and what they're doing. It's just the way of things. So yep. it's, you know, everyone did their YouTube channel and now they're doing those those same people are doing podcasts. And like so, you know, the first thing he did was he got um Richard Porter on and thingy wise wiseman um the producers and scriptwriters from the original top gear sure and um and you know people are going to go and flock and listen to that and, and you know what's what's the stig got to say about you know what's jeremy clarkson like what yeah. how scripted was it you know what was the worst thing that ever happened that kind of stuff um and there's a load of you know chris kuehl who was on um Kelvin canyon he's he's launched one as well and I guess everyone's trying to be more and more outspoken and make their mark in that space, you know. And I suspect someone like Jody Kidd, will, who who has a, a big YouTube channel, I suspect she'll do one next. I mean, Supercar Blondie's probably got one as well. Um, well, they're bringing they bring their audience the with them, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. And it's... That's the thing I, I guess I don't understand if... We consume podcasts in a different way, so I understand that. It's you can you you take your audience with you, and you take them onto a different channel, um, from video to podcast, and you can present more in depth stuff because people listen are more likely to listen to a podcast from start to finish, and they're more likely to pause it and come back to it. Whereas a video, you know, you kind of watch it halfway through, and you can lose attention and um, or lose um, lose concentration, do something else, come back. The, your feed has presented you a different video that you're, you're interested in and you forget about the original one. Um, but there's a whole load of podcasts being launched at the moment. And I, I can't decide if, because I listen to a few, probably about four or five podcasts. And the the thing that's happened recently is I've moved away from just, I don't know, organically from more car podcasts. Mm-hmm. I've started listening to political ones. Sure. Um, I listened to a local, uh, a British, couple of British ex-politicians um, called The Rest is Politics. I listened to uh, the news agents. Um, I listened to uh, one about a, a crypto queen who stole billions of pounds. Are we, um, you know, it's, um, who's podcast are we promoting here? Ours or everyone else's? What's going on? Uh, um, I'm 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 going to come around to it in a in a normal review way, and everyone else is shit, and just listen to ours because it's amazing. All four <laughs> people stay listening to us, um, and 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 Porsche, and um, but from that point of view, it's I think it's it's does everybody start sounding the same? Are we sounding the same? I don't know because when I watch the videos now, you know, new videos from people that I've watched over a long period of time, new videos come up. And they're doing the same thing with a different car. It just gets to a point where you think, I'm just going to skip through that. I'm going to skip through that. I want to skip through that. And there's there's others that I'll see where someone's doing a long term. Started watching a couple of uh, Mass Armstrong's videos. Sure. Where he's he's bought, and and I think it's the the bleeding of YouTube channels from one into the other, and podcasts one into the other. So you know, Matt Armstrong's gone to see Tavares, where he's bought a GT3 in the US 992 and he's going to fix that up because it got wrecked by another 
different YouTuber. And then, you know, they do Car Trek, which is three YouTubers together. And then, you know, you have Scott Chivers, Ratarossa. He went to the US and, you know, him and Tavares were on the same channel. Then um, what's his name? Alex Kirsten from Auto Alex. He was with Tavares doing something as well. And then it gets to the point where I just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make it doesn't make me think. Oh, there's a new video from that YouTuber that I really like. I must watch that. I just I just think. Oh, I don't know if I can spend another fifteen minutes watching that. Is that is that is that I just me? The look. The I've got some. I've got some. An idea I want to throw to you and the listeners on a um on along these lines. But before I get onto that, for a lot of these new podcasts I feel like the companies that promote and market for large YouTube channels you know the analytics advisors that type of thing which a lot of big comp- big YouTube channels have right I think they, they go to these um, um, content creators and they say to them look you now need a full social media presence just YouTube and your Instagram isn't enough anymore. You've got to be doing TikTok. You've got to be doing Instagram. You've got to make sure it feeds through your Facebook account, even if you hardly ever look at it because some of your listeners will or viewers will. Uh, you need to do a podcast because that's a growing segment, whereas YouTube's a shrinking segment. So I think there'd be people that are advising. I think what you're seeing is a consequence of the evolution of social media presence. That's what I, that's where I, how I see it going, you know. Now, have they with the with the mm-hmm. podcast part of it? I think a lot of the appeal for a lot of people is it's single sense in that you only have to listen; you don't have to watch and listen. So when you're travelling, you're on your bike in your car, or if, you know you can still get the content. Mm-hmm. And like you and I, or you, I definitely know, and you'd be well aware as well that the edit process is a quarter of the time. So it's a much more efficient. Yep tool as a content creator to get it out to the public compared to a video which is it can be quite time consuming and that's you know that's reflected in the demands on um these content creators these days because good content creators they're making mini feature films these days they're not making the whole just talk to a camera you know the whole uh, vlog concept of that's that's dying a thousand deaths out there isn't it Mm, I think it is. And I I think you're right, because the effort taken and, you know, especially with multiple people and having to pay their wages for their time and the equipment, it's much harder to, you know, and and even just the software license for editing, video editing software, that that's, you know, astronomical these days. So people who are trying to make it big in that space, but at the same time, you can make it big in that space, but you need you need to get off the ground pretty quickly because, it's those people who make it big, have access to amazing cars, for example, or amazing people. And, you know, if you're meeting up with, I don't know, you know, Matt Farah, Magnus Walker, Jerry Seinfeld every weekend, and you can create a video with them or, or a podcast or something, then you're always going to have high listenership sure. and, and it's going to be successful. But for those people, and, and that, I think that's the difference for us, those people have to make a living out of it. And this works for us because we're not trying to make a living out of it. We enjoy doing it, and it's and it's much easier, you know. If we if we weren't if we were in the same place, 
we probably go, oh, it's too much difficult to record. Let's go down the pub and have a beer. Yep, yep. And we'd probably be talking about exactly the same things, but just we just, just sat down the pub. Yep. And yep. because it's more of a, it's it's a hobby for us sure. and, and we're enthusiasts and we're, it's a passion. Um, but if we were to monetize it, we would do, we would probably do it in a different way. And whereas those people monetizing it, um, it would be more strategic, you're right. Wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is yeah. more strategic, and as long as it's not cynical, I guess. Yeah, on on the social media presence aspect of it, I had this epiphany yesterday, and I want to hear your input for it. People like you, I, and a lot of listeners of ours that are that we follow in Instagram, or they follow us either individually or together, and you know, enthusiasts that want to dip their toe into social media, like with outside of just a standard Instagram um, voyeurism, okay? I'm talking someone like uh, Todd from Stone City Outlaw was documenting his um, restoration of his car through a series of photographs or videos or whatever and how he's going to consolidate that at the end. And actually getting some traction and engagement when you're – small like us is a challenge okay you know if we if you release a video or i release a video getting it in front of people is hard because we don't have a great number of views generally so when even if we get into someone's feed or it's at 11 views i'm not going to watch that even though it could be amazing yeah right so but you know people are naturally filtering so i thought how how could we all work together to get better at this Right. So I thought, what about if we start a Porsche Talk Collective where we have, we have a platform that you can you use Porsche Talk Collective to drop your content into? Sure, it's your identity. It's you. You introduce yourself, that sort of thing. But we use the Porsche Talk platform and grow it through a large group of people contributing. Now, whether that's through normal socials or if it's through YouTube or if it's through podcasting or whatever it is, but we just use one centralised location to drop that thing in and then grow through sheer volume the presence, which will then get greater engagement and a much broader engagement of topics. Obviously, it would be Porsche-focused being called Porsche Talk Collective. But what do you what do you what what do you think about some of that, or what do the listeners think about that? I know, look, it's an idea, and I haven't thought it through on how you'd actually create it on the limitations within the various platforms. But I think we could do something here. I think if it was just to get traction, I think it's a good idea because you know Drive Tribe tried that on YouTube, but uh, not on YouTube. They did it outside of the YouTube. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they did it in a way that. Like they forum. they wanted to own the content. Yeah, and they wanted to own the content, which I thought was wrong. Because sure. if someone spent all this time yeah. and, and they also I think if they owned they took the content, they owned it, you couldn't then take that same content and load it up to YouTube, for example. Oh, it would okay. have to be on their platform. Whereas for us, we're 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 not trying to create anything other than a collective. And then it would be a case of, well, actually you still own it. You can do whatever you want with that content, it's your content. But if you want to get it in front of a lot of yeah, eyes, right. there could be a be here. post here as well type option. But is it? But would it? Would we be in danger of 
doing one of those, you know, the, the bots, you know, when you put something on Instagram and it goes, send a DM here to get yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes I look at those accounts and there's lots of people following them because someone has done it. Yeah. Would we be in danger of becoming that? I'm not saying we chase people to do it, to use the collective. I'm suggesting that if people are looking to get greater engagement and presence, if we had 10 people who were posting or publishing like you or I, it's going to be 10 times bigger. So the likelihood of success is more than 10 times greater because you know how those algorithms um, yeah. are, uh, you know, all social media algorithms appeal to. And, you know, we could start it just by having it as a hashtag in our normal posting and see whether or not we can get any traction on it. Anyway, that was an idea. That is true. I'd be, I'd be interested to hear from listeners out there. I know we're quite a way into this podcast, so if you, if you are still listening, um, please reach out to us. Let us know whether or not you think it's a good idea. I think it could be. Speaking of Todd from Stone City, I reckon we get him on. I want an update on his car. I want to know what's going on. I want an update on his car because I've seen some photos. He sent me some stuff, and I don't want to say what it is um, until he shared it himself. And I've seen a couple of things that he has shared, but uh, but yeah, we want a big we want a big update. I want to I want to hear that it's you know it's about ready to fire up and get on the road. I want to hear that the, too. What's the weather in Chicago? What's the weather in Chicago? At Worse the than you. I'm sorry, I bought the weather again. Um, but just you know, if you wanted to get it out on the road, <laughs> I think it's probably going to be this coming summer. At a guess, I'm hoping anyway for his sake. Yeah, I hope so. That would be amazing. He doesn't, he doesn't, it looks fantastic. He doesn't know yet, but I'm going to visit him when I'm in the States. I'll do it. Do it. I'm going to. You're going to just knock at his door? Or stalk him, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, don't don't sit outside his house. He probably wouldn't like <laughs> that. But Chicago, you'll get shot. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, it's Detroit. Exactly. I think Detroit's a place where they love shooting each other, isn't it? Anyway. I'm going, to, I'm going to track next uh-huh. weekend. What? In the uh, GT4? Hmm. I'm doing, and I'm going to do a series. I, I I'm going to do a series this year, Ajma. What? What racing in a series? Not wheel to wheel. It's a, it's a time attack, you know, so it's to, a time, you know, one timed lap. So, hang on, I've forgotten. Has your car got ceramics? Yeah. And you obviously leave them on the car when you're on the track. I'm definitely leaving them on the car on the track. And is it still four grand a disc if something goes wrong? No, way more. Is it way more per disc? No, it's pro- it's, I don't know. I don't know what the exact number is. Push way to replace all four discs and pads is about 30 grand. Oz. Oh, my God. That is so. So you risk that every time. So if you went off the track into a gravel, that you'd be four discs, what, right? How's that going to wreck my discs? They're inside the wheels, for Christ's sake! No, but isn't it just like you get a stone in the sand? What's this disc, gravel right? stuff? Right, you probably have runoff, wide runoff areas, don't you? Big state. Yeah, yeah that's true. Mm. So, um, so what? What does this series involve? I don't know, going around a track and getting timed and you actually, you earn points by how much your time improves as a percentage of your 
previous average of previous three times or something like that. I, I don't know the exact rules. I'll have to get to the bottom of it. Oh, so you couldn't sandbag the first session? I think you probably could come out sandbag the first faster. three, then look at super, but that's not my intent. My intent is to go there and actually enjoy myself. <laughs> I'm not thinking then that this are you is... Gonna do a video? Um, are you going to do a video of you doing a donut? I haven't yet. I could. Actually, what I'll do, you I'll, do when you... I'll do that when my tyres are due. Exactly. I was going to say, because when I had, I've just changed the tyres on my 996. And you didn't do your donut, I did wanted you? to do, I didn't do a donut, and I, and I really wanted to. And because I had to get it done really quickly, because I was driving somewhere really far, and I needed mm. to take it for an MOT, um, I missed your, I completely forgot about it, and I was on the motorway going somewhere quite far. I thought, oh, shit, I should have done that. I probably would have destroyed the engine, but, you know, what a way to go. <laughs> the, um, laser the, uh, I think that's everything I've got on my uh, list of topics for today's podcast. Is there anything else you want to bring up to, for the listeners? Um, so I don't know. I don't, I'm hoping no one's noticed, but I'm always, I've always got a Rubik's cube in my hand. When we're how on, would they have noticed? Like, well, just from the noise. We don't, we don't post. No, from the noise. Oh, okay. So I'm kind of always doing mm-hmm. that noise, but under the desk. It's not anything weird. Uh, it's with a Rubik's cube that I'm twiddling with while I'm talking, and this Rubik's cube is from 1982. So when my brother would have had it, uh, when they first sort of sure. came up in a big mm-hmm. way in the 80s, and um, and I used to be able to do this in sort of, you know, under a, under a minute when I was a kid. Really? And I now cannot train my brain or concentrate long enough to retrain myself so I can do it, you know, just make it in 10 minutes or whatever. And I've decided that I'm now going to take some time, sit somewhere, find the instructions. Because my dad, when I was a kid, used to work at Jaguar Cars. And he wrote out the instructions on this piece of paper. But how did and I never looked at that piece of paper. Yeah, how to do it. And he wrote out the instructions, and that's how I learned. And I never really looked at that piece of paper until about five years ago. And I flipped it over, and it was a sheet of paper that he would have been given. And it was a spec sheet for Jaguar cars as they were coming through where he worked. <laughs> Unreal. And it was a spec sheet that he just flipped over yeah, and, and wrote, and wrote the, the instructions. instructions on. When he should have been quality yeah. controlling the cars, and that explains why Jags are shit else. Oh, Jack's terrible. I mean, the quality control he only told me about. He only told me about one fail that he had to cover for somebody was a guy who worked on the spray line, painting. He's spraying red. Yeah, spray mm. painting red XJ40s, I think it was, and that was probably the the worst period of luxury Jag making, and. He said this guy that he worked with wore glasses and he got red spray paint onto one section of his glasses. Mm. And he couldn't tell whether he was spraying one portion of these cars until they went into inspection so far down the production line that my dad had to run after all of the cars to finish off the spray painting (laughs) of the bits that he'd missed. I shouldn't really be saying that because, you know, it's an institution and I love E-types. My dad didn't work on any time. He's not. He wasn't that old. Yeah. Okay. But um. But I'm going to learn 
how to do this Ruby's Cube. You look like you're a long way across. You look like you're a long way along the line there. I am, but in uh, in a Homer Simpson kind of way, I'm hoping that something else that I've learned doesn't fall out of my brain when I <laughs> relearn how to do this. Something like you know, yeah, walking so or talking. You'll, or you'll complete the Rubik's cube and walk out to go get a coffee down the road and realise you've forgotten your pants. Exactly, or forgotten how to walk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> walk. Now you're going to come back uh, to us next episode with finance. I'll be back. I want to hear, yes. Yeah, I want to hear what your options are over there. Um, I think that's it. Is there a, oh, we've got two guests next week. Locked oh in, God. locked and loaded. So looking forward to that, listeners. You'll, we're not going to give a hint who it is, but I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So um, hopefully we all are out driving safe this coming week until that next episode and um, take care everyone. Thank you, Ajmal. Thank you. And uh, I'm sorry about ranting the entire way through. (laughs) See you next week.